Today we continue in our series called Scandal. Uh, and what we've been looking at is the scandal, the greatest scandal to ever take place, and that is the scandal that put our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to death. And today, we're going to see that this scandal uh, has something in common with every scandal to ever take place, and that is secrecy. Things done in secret uh, that the public was never supposed to know about. And when you stop and think about it, every scandal that you know, every scandal that you've heard of, uh, has things that were done in secret that weren't supposed to get out. And then they get out, and that's what causes the scandal. That's what makes it a scandal. Just recently in the news, you may have heard of a scandal. Sean Miller, the head coach of Arizona's basketball team, uh, supposedly had a secret conversation, but it wasn't so secret because somebody recorded it. And what he said on the phone was that he would pay a player $100,000 to come play at Arizona. That's a big no-no because you're not supposed to pay college players to play. And he was willing to pay $100,000 if this kid came and played for him. That conversation wasn't supposed to be heard, but someone recorded it and now it's out. And now he's in trouble. Scandal. And that's what every scandal has in common, right? Things done in secret. The person involved in the scandal thinks that he can have that conversation. She can do those things in the dark. He or she can uh, do things behind closed doors because nobody is going to know. But then it gets out. And that's what we're going to see today. We are going to see that secrets were done. Things done in secret that then became public. And what the people today needed to learn, what we need to learn, and what everybody involved in a scandal needs to learn, is that things done in secret tend to become public whether we want them to or not. Secrets always have a way of coming out. And so that's what we're going to see today in the Garden of Gethsemane. To catch you up today, I want to fill you in on the past two weeks so you know where we're at today. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the plot. If you remember the chief priests, the, the teachers of the law, uh, a couple months before Jesus died, got together and they had a secret meeting. Again, more secrecy. Uh, and, and they said, this Jesus guy has gone too far. We need to kill him. And so they decided that that's what was going to happen. They were going to murder Jesus. But they needed to find the perfect time to do it. And so they looked. And they looked. They looked for the opportunity and they finally found it. A few days before Jesus died, one of his own disciples, Judas, came to them, approached them, and said, What will you give me if I hand him over to you? They counted out 30 pieces of silver, roughly $20,000, and said, Here's what we'll give you. And he said, Done. And last week we ended with it saying that Judas was now looking for his opportune time to hand Jesus over to the chief priests. And he found that opportune time in our section today. Jesus died on Good Friday. The night before we call Maundy Thursday, uh, it's from a word called mandatum, it's the Latin command. Jesus gave the command on that night to love one another. So Maundy Thursday, Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. Up in the upper room, he institutes the Lord's Supper. After he's done, he and his disciples go out to the Garden of Gethsemane while Judas leaves to go get the chief priests. 
If you remember what happens in Garden of Gethsemane, that's where Jesus kneels down and He prays to God, actually asking for God to change the way of salvation. He, he says, if there's any other way that salvation can be won without me dying, please let that be. Don't let me go through this. Take this from me. And God says, no. It has to happen this way. And as soon as Jesus was done praying, Judas shows up with the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And here's what happened. Matthew chapter 26. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. The chief priests and the elders of the people. These are the pastors of the pastors. These are the pastors of the Jewish people, the one in charge of their their religious life. And they come out with a large crowd to arrest Jesus in the middle of the night. In the secrecy of darkness... They come out to arrest Jesus. Why? Why didn't they do this during the day? Why do they wait until it's nighttime and Jesus is off in the garden? Two reasons. One, they know what they're doing is wrong. They know they have no grounds to arrest Jesus. They know that Jesus hasn't done anything to deserve death, and yet that's their plan is to kill Him. And all Jesus had done was reestablish the authority of Scripture and got rid of man-made traditions and said, let's get back to Scripture. So they knew that the only thing they could really charge Jesus with was the fact that He was taking away their power from the people. And that wasn't a crime worthy of death. But they wanted to kill Jesus, and so they made it look like He was a dangerous man. And so they grabbed clubs. And they grab swords. And they bring their lanterns as if they're going out uh, to get beast from Beauty and the Beast. That's what I picture in this scene. They go out to the garden with swords and and, uh, clubs and lanterns. And act like Jesus is this dangerous man that they have to kill. The second reason they do this at night is because this isn't what people wanted. The people love Jesus. He healed them. He did miracles. He taught them about grace and inclusion and and love. This isn't what the people wanted. And so they knew if they did this during the day, there would be a riot. And so they do it at night. In the cover of darkness, in secrecy, and they hope to arrest Jesus, have Him imprisoned and sentenced to death before everyone wakes up in the morning. And when people wake up and they say, hey, why is Jesus dying? They can make up some crime that Jesus committed in the middle of the night And nobody would know the difference because it was done in secrecy. So essentially, if you want to break down their motives, it's their selfishness. They want to kill Jesus for selfish reasons and they want to still be respectable in people's eyes. And so they do all this in secret. And then you have Judas. Judas says the right things. He does the right things. He comes up and says, Greetings, Rabbi! And he kisses him. But deep inside, 
he had a secret. And that secret was that he really didn't believe in Jesus. He lost his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. He says he did, the, he did the right things, he said the right things, but inside he had a secret. And he had that dark secret in him, thinking he could get away with it in front of the people as long as he played the part. And what we have to realize is that we have something in common with all of these people, don't we? And that's your first point today. We all have dark deeds we try to keep secret. We all do, don't we? What do we do when no one else is looking? What thoughts do we have that nobody else knows about? What websites are we clicking on behind closed doors? What happens at home that we dare not let happen here at church when there are people around? Are we like Judas? Who who says the right things, who, who do the right things, but inside we believe something completely different? Are there secret things that we don't want anyone to know about? because we like to get away with those dark deeds and satisfy some of the selfishness in our hearts, like the chief priests? Why do we do sins in secret? For two reasons, right? One, we want to be respected by people. We want people to respect us. And if, if they knew what we thought, if we knew what, what we did behind closed doors... They would never respect us. That would get out and that would be so embarrassing. But then there's another aspect to it too, right? We do these things in secret because there's a part of us that likes to sin. There's a part of us, a a selfishness in us that thinks we can get away with these things. We can say we love Jesus. We can come to church on Sunday morning and and praise Jesus and then we can go off in secret and, and sin. And we think we can get away with it. And all of a sudden, we realize we have something in common with these people. They're not far from us. We want respect from people, to remain respectable in people's eyes, and yet, we want to satisfy our selfish, secret desires. And we think we can get away with it. That's what the chief priests and Judas were doing. That's why they acted in secret. That's why we do. Respect for people from people... We want, to, we want to have people's respect and yet we also want to satisfy that dark desire in our hearts. But the chief priests, the elders and Judas, they weren't expecting the next thing to happen. Here's what we're told. With that, when, when they seized Jesus, one of Jesus' companions reached out for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. <clears throat> do, you not, do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? 
Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. One of Jesus' companions, and we know from other Gospels it was Peter, he pulled out a sword and, and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And what we're also not told here is that Jesus actually bent down, picked up the ear, and healed the man's ear in front of everybody. But Jesus then turns to his disciples and says, Put your swords away. This isn't what's supposed to happen. Scripture testifies that I'm supposed to go with these people and die. That's what Scripture says. And then he turns his attention to the crowd and says, Am I leading a rebellion? Why are you coming out here as if I'm some dangerous man? I've sat in the temple all week preaching and teaching, and you didn't bother me. So why are you coming out at night in secret to capture me? And they don't say anything. Because there's only the truth that they could answer, and they didn't want to admit the truth. The truth that they're selfish. The truth that they're satisfying the dark desires of their heart. They didn't want to admit it. They didn't want to confess it. They didn't want to turn from it. And so it was silent. But Jesus knew the motives. Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what was in their hearts. And that's what we have to realize. It's your second point today. We may be able to fool the public, but we can't fool Jesus. Judas, the chief priests, the elders of the people, they might be able to fool the public. They might be able to say the right things, do the right things, but Jesus knows what's in their hearts. And the same is true for us. Jesus hears what nobody else hears. Jesus sees what nobody else sees because He's always watching. He knows all things. He knows every thought that crosses our minds. He knows every motive that is in our hearts. He sees everything we do behind closed doors. He sees it all. He sees it all. And He says, admit it. Confess it. Turn from it. And He confronts us just like He confronted the chief priests and the the teachers of the law and Judas. You notice He says to Judas, do what you came for. You're not fooling me with your kiss. To the elders, why are you doing this at night? I've been in the temple courts all, all week. He's calling them out and He says, I know it. So just admit it. And that's what He says to us too. He comes to us with His law, His Word, and He says, admit what you're doing. And here's the thing. We can either confess our sins, those dark secrets of our hearts and what we do, and turn from them, or He will expose them at the end. In Luke chapter 8, here's what Jesus said. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Jesus is the light of the world. There is nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. He knows the dark corners of our hearts. And if we don't expose them to Him, He will expose them for us. 
And if that happens, that will not be a good day if He has to expose the darkness in our hearts. Our dark secrets, Jesus calls us out for, and He says, turn from them. Just like He did with the chief priests and the elders. But do you know the most amazing part of this whole thing? The most amazing part of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows their dark secrets. Jesus knows their dark motives. He knows exactly what they're doing. And yet He willingly goes with them. He even says, I could call down legions of angels to fight for me. He didn't even need to do that, right? He has all power. He could have blasted these people away for their dark motives, their dark secrets, and yet He didn't. He put His power aside and He went with. And He went with for you and me. And for people all over the world, people of all time. He went with to die. And that's because Jesus let the darkness consume Him so we can live in the light. Jesus let the darkness consume Him. Their dark deeds consume Him. The darkness of sin consume Him so that you and I can live in the light. What is true of every person that has ever lived since Adam and Eve? We are all consumed by the darkness of sin. And it overpowers us and controls us. We are all controlled by the darkness of sin. And it's not good. Yes, our selfish desires get satisfied. Yes, uh, a part of us feels good sinning. But do you know the characteristics of somebody who is controlled by the darkness of sin? Guilt. People who are controlled by the darkness of sin and live in the secrecy of sin, they have guilt weighing on them every single day because they know what they're doing is wrong. And every single day they have to cope with that guilt. And how do people cope with guilt? In many different ways, a lot are harmful to our bodies. People who are controlled by the darkness of sin and consumed by the darkness of sin, they live in worry. Worried that people are going to find out that they're fake. Worried that they're going to find out that they're some imposter. Worried about their future. Because if you are consumed and overpowered by sin, you are separated from Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't have control of your life, who does? Me. And I have no control over my life, and so I'm filled with worry all the time. People who are consumed by the darkness of sin live in a constant state of fear. Fearful that death is going to happen, and then what? They don't know. They're they're discouraged, they're confused. And the worst part about being consumed and overpowered by sin is that it separates you from Jesus. And if you're separated from Jesus when you die, you will spend eternal separation from Jesus. And that's hell. You will spend eternity in hell. That's what happens when we have these secret sins in our hearts and we we, we secretly try to get away with them. We'll become, become more and more consumed by the darkness of sin, separated from Jesus. But that's why Jesus came, right? And that's why He set His power aside that night. He said, this is what Scripture has been testifying about since the beginning. That Jesus Himself was coming into the world to defeat sin. 
And so he let their dark secrets, he let their dark motives go through. And he went with them. And he let them beat him and whip him and crucify him. Because at the cross of Christ, sin was defeated. Your sin was forgiven. And it no longer has power over you because Christ defeated it. And think about what that means for your daily life. Think about what that means. It means you get to live in the light and not in the darkness of sin. You live every day with that, that guilt of uh, the weight of guilt off of your shoulders because Jesus paid for it. You know that your sins are forgiven. You don't live in a constant state of worry because you know that Jesus has everything under control. You know He knows your future. You know He's shining His light on your path to heaven. He, you know that He has a plan for your life. And He has the control. You aren't discouraged, but you are encouraged because you know that the God of this world loves you and accepts you every single day because of Jesus. You aren't scared. You aren't confused because you know that even death can't hold you down. Even the darkness of death can't keep you from seeing the light of heaven that you will experience every single day of eternity because of Jesus. This is life in the light. Guilt-free, worry-free, sad-free. Only a life of encouragement and security and love. And this is what we get from Jesus because He died on the cross freeing us from the power of the darkness of sin. And that's why He went with those people that night to go and win you salvation. We want to live in the light. We want to live that guilt-free, worry-free, scared-free life. We don't want to be filled with guilt, worry, fear, discouragement. We don't want that. And so how do we live in the light? This is your last point today. Living in the light begins with confession and forgiveness. Confession and forgiveness is the key part to your Christian life. If this isn't part of your day-to-day routine, have it as a goal for this week to every day live in confession and forgiveness because this is what changes lives. This is what Jesus wanted the the chief priests and, and Judas to do, right? He called them out. He said, what you are doing is secret and it's a sin. Why didn't you arrest me when I was in the temple earlier in the week? Judas, I know what you're doing. Do what you came for. I know your secrets. Turn from them. But they were too consumed by the darkness of sin. And they separated themselves from Jesus. But Jesus offers us the same thing. He says, I know your dark deeds. I know what you're doing. Confess them. Admit them. Turn from them. And rely on my love and forgiveness. And watch as you live in the light. And so every day, make it a routine. When you get up, before you go to sleep, confess your sins to God. Turn from those dark sins and rely on His love and forgiveness. Remind yourself of His love and forgiveness. This might be a good opportunity to actually memorize a gospel verse 
a, a verse where uh, it reminds you of the forgiveness that Jesus offers you. That because Jesus died on the cross, God will forgive your sins because He's faithful and just. And so that when you confess your sins, you remind yourself of the love and forgiveness that Jesus has for you. The forgiveness that He won at the cross. The forgiveness that all of Scripture testifies about. The, the, the forgiveness that He set His power aside to go and win for you on that night. That you may live in the light of a guilt-free, worry-free life. May God be with you this week as you make this a, a daily routine in your life, confessing your sins and relying on His love and His forgiveness. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You that You won for us eternal salvation. We thank You that You have freed us from the power of the darkness of sin in our life and that we now can live in the light of Your love and forgiveness. Help us every day to confess our sins to You, turn from our dark sins, and rely on the love and forgiveness that You offer us. And it's only then that we will be guilt-free, worry-free, scared-free, and filled with love and joy and security. Amen.